We are finishing the book of Acts, and we've actually, it's quite an accomplishment, we've been preaching through the book of Acts in segments for, for several years, going all the way back to the movie theater days, and so, uh, so to make it to the end of, of the book of Acts is quite an accomplishment, and, and if you're bored this week, you can go online and you can listen to all the sermons for the entire Acts series, uh, if you've got like, you know, 48 hours or so of continuous listening that you want to put in, but, um, but today we're going to end uh, the book of Acts, and so in some ways, we're, we're obviously, we're going to preach the uh, uh, verses 11 through 31 that finish it out, but, but in another way, it kind of puts an end cap on the entire book and everything that we've gone through, and so the, the big idea that we're going to look at uh, today um, is this, and I'll, I don't have it up here on the screen for you, but uh, God will accomplish his will. That's what we see in the book of Acts. From, from the beginning when, when the disciples are scared and they're scattered and they're hiding and, and, there's, and there's about 12 people in the whole world who believe in Jesus, all the way to the end of the book of Acts where the gospel has made its way to Rome, the center of, of the known world, and it, from there it's going to spread out everywhere. God will accomplish his will. And it's, it's crazy to think about, to give you some perspective, right? Uh, at the time when, when the book of Acts was written, when these events were happening, uh, this continent, uh, they didn't even know it existed, right? There was no such uh, thing in their minds as North America. Obviously, it was here and there were people here, but they didn't even know it existed. The English language that we're speaking today, that wouldn't even develop for another 500 years after this. And so because of God's faithfulness in bringing the gospel to the Roman Empire, it went from there out into the whole world so that now 2,000 years later in a continent that they didn't even know existed, speaking a language which had not yet been formed, we stand here and proclaim the gospel as it continues forward. And so that's an encouraging thought, and it also gives a little perspective. Sometimes we tend to think that uh, of Christianity as sort of this American religion, like we own it, like it's our thing, right? And, um, and, uh, and we are grateful to be a part of it, but it certainly is not our possession, right? It's, it's so much greater than that. And so, sorry, I got tied up on the first point, and I told us, right? God will accomplish will, but God is not merely concerned just with what is accomplished. It says over and over again in Scripture, like if God wanted to, he could, he could raise up rocks and trees to do his will, right? He doesn't need us to do his will, but he chooses us. He wants us to be involved with his mission and what he's doing in this world. And the reason is, is that he cares about how it is accomplished and how that accomplishment impacts, shapes, and transforms those through whom it is accomplished, God is inviting you to be a part of what he's doing in the world because in that journey, you are going to be shaped and transformed and made into the image of God. He's going to do something incredible through you, but he's going to do something incredible in you. And if you're like me, I can only really focus on one thing at a time. If I'm writing a really intense email reply and my wife comes in and starts asking me questions about like the, uh, the new rug that she got and stuff, like my, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she's like, what did I just say? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, I got to stop, right? We can only do, most of us can only do one thing really well at a time. But God has all these intricate threads that he's weaving where he's, he's bringing the gospel to fruition. He's bearing fruit in it in the world. But he's also working through each individual person that we see. And so for several weeks now, we've been tracing the story of this guy named Paul and how God was doing things through him, but he was also doing things in him and shaping 
his character. And so as we look at the conclusion of, of this part of Paul's story, I want you to read yourself into the story. I want you to see how God is working in your life. There's been things that have been going on uh, in your life, maybe over the past couple days or weeks, where, where God is, is changing. He's shifting things. Maybe he's brought um, a challenge into your life. Maybe he's presented a great opportunity. Maybe he's challenging the way that you have thought about things in the past, and he wants you to, to rethink, to think again about it. And so, uh, so we're going to dig into that here in Acts uh, chapter 28, verses 11 through 31. And so here's what it says. It says, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Now, just a side note here. If, if, if you've been with us, you know that we're, we're talking about Paul's journey to Rome, and, and he was taken as a captive, and he was set on this boat, and he advised them not to sail, but they sailed anyways, and they went into a storm, and the ship was wrecked, but God had promised him, hey, I'm going to spare your life and the life of the entire crew. And so even though the boat was destroyed, they made it to land. They get out. They are, they're cold, and they're wet, and so they start building a fire. As they're building the fire, a poisonous snake comes out of the fire and bites Saul on the hand, right? So out of the frying pan, into the fire, and Paul's like, man, after everything I've been through, are you kidding me? And he just shakes it off and just keeps going. And the people were amazed, and they're like, wow, this guy must be a god. And he's like, no, I'm not a god, but I serve God. And so he does this incredible ministry on the island. And so there's, there's a little sidebar. This could have been a whole separate sermon, right? But, but when the ship that you're in wrecks, God's got another ship waiting, Right? How many times in your life has God picked you up from like, okay, you've made a mess of this, this is a, but now you're ready, let's go forward from there. Let's go forward from there. God is in the business of continually moving us forward from wherever our shipwrecks take place. And so even though their ship wrecked, there was another ship on this island that they were able to jump on and continue on on their journey. And so maybe that's a word for you this morning. Maybe, that's, maybe the only thing you need to hear is like, okay, hey, that ship has sank, <laughs> that is over, but God is ready to help you move forward in a new way today, right? One verse in, we can make it through, I promise, right? Verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petuli. Uh, there, we found brothers, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so, we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God, and he took courage. And when he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing wrong against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans." When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But... We desire to hear from you and what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodge in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So that's the end of the book of Acts. That's the end of the, the recorded story in the Bible that we have of Paul and his life. And, and you might ask, hey, what happened? What, what happened to Paul? What happened to his ministry? Where did it go from there? And, and historically, we know that, um, that Paul actually continued on in ministry for, for a bit longer. But a couple years later, uh, he was ultimately executed um, by the Romans uh, for proclaiming the gospel. Um, but, but that's not the emphasis of what we're looking at today. That was the end of his story. The, the, what we're asking ourselves today is what is God trying to speak into my story through this passage? And so as I said, there, there's God is doing things through you. As you're sitting here today, God is at work. <laughs> and, uh, and we saw even in the book of Acts, whether people believed in him or not, whether people were followers of Jesus or not, he was working and accomplishing his will through their lives, sometimes knowingly, intentionally, sometimes unwittingly, but he was at work. God is at work in your life right now, and there's things that he wants to develop in you. And so there's five things that we're going to look at from this passage um, that God is seeking to develop. And so if we go to the, the slide here, the first thing that we're going to look at is that God is making us encouragers. God is making us into encouragers. Uh, we see here in the passage that uh, Paul had gone through so much crazy stuff. The shipwreck, uh, the snake bite, uh, the imprisonment, all of these things. And he's finally almost up to Rome. And the Roman Christians heard about it and they came to greet him. Um, and historically we know it was about 43 miles that they traveled to come and to, to greet him on his way in. Now that's pretty impressive for back then, right? Like uh, if somebody tells me something's 43 miles away by car... I'm going to weigh whether I want to go do it, right? Like somebody's like, hey, down and, you know, South Philly's not even 43 miles away, but if something's going on in South Philly, you know, I'm kind of like, somebody's like, hey, uh, I got a flight. Do you think you could drive me to the airport? And you're like, ah, what time is it? You know, like, and if you say yes, it's always like, oh, good. It's a 5.30 a.m. flight. So I got to be there about 4.30, 4.15, right? Like, you're like, why did I say yes? They traveled 43 miles to go out and to greet him. And look what it says in the passage. It says, uh, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. Just their presence, just their, their desire to come to him, it filled him with courage. To encourage, right, is to, is to put someone in the position to be courageous. Now, I want you to think about some of the interactions that you had over this past week as you've, as you've engaged with people in your family and at your workplace and, and uh, maybe on the highway or at Wawa or whatever, right? Like, would you say, man, I was an encourager this week. <laughs> there are people that moved forward from a conversation they had with me and they moved in greater confidence and boldness and courageous behavior. Is that, is that indicative of the way that you relate to people? Because that's how God wants us 
to function. How many of you have somebody in your life you're like, man, that person is just a great encourager? Anybody like you? You have that? A few? Not as many as I'd hoped? Okay, that's all right. We all need an encourager, right? We all need somebody that's going to come into us and, and not, not just puff us up, um, not a flatterer, right? There's a difference between a flatterer and encourager. A flatterer just tells you good things about yourself, but you can never really trust whether they're true. They're like, well, they always say nice things, and uh, sometimes it's not even accurate. So, <laughs> so right, but, but that person that is really going to listen, um, man, I've got some people here in the church that when I preach, they'll come and they won't just be like, man, great job, uh, but they'll say, hey, you know, I really enjoyed and appreciated this. And that made me think, and that challenged me, or that, uh, you know, that sort of specific feedback. And there's people that, that consistently do that. And, uh, and man, it, it, it gives me more courage to keep getting back up here and keep standing up here and keep proclaiming what I feel like God has laid on my heart to share. Um, we're all called to that, that ministry, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's as simple as a choice. Some of us naturally have a more encouraging personality. We just see the good. Uh, other ones have a more sarcastic personality or, or, or more, uh, you know, we, we kind of go at things sideways and I'm like that, right? That's my, my initial reaction I've learned over time is always wrong. So I've got to check that, <laughs> filter it, and then present it properly, right? And so for some of us, it takes more intentionality and work than others. But we are called to be encouragers. And, and, you know, one of the most powerful things that you can do to encourage somebody is just to pray for them and let them know that you're praying for them, um, right? Um, and, and so, because a lot of times the, the struggles that people around us are facing are bigger than what we can handle. We, we, don't, know how to, we don't know how to fix broken relationships. Uh, we don't know how to bring healing where there's a need for healing. We, we don't know. We don't have the power to do those things, but, but we have a relationship with the one who does, and so sometimes the most encouraging thing you can do is say, like, actually lift up a prayer for somebody and then tell them, say, hey, I prayed for you. I am praying for you. I'm going to keep praying for you. Can I pray for you right now, right? So is there anybody that needs encouragement here today? Anybody feel like, man, I'm in a spot where I could use some encouragement, right? Yeah, I know you're afraid because what's going to happen if you say yes, right? But let's just take a moment. Let's just pray for each other. Let's just pray a prayer of encouragement over one another. And if somebody around you lifted their hand and you want to throw a hand on their shoulder, you go for it. Father, I know, I know how difficult life is, uh, and, and I know many of the stories in this room and that there are people facing some really, really challenging and difficult things right now. And it would be easy to be discouraged, to have our courage taken away. Uh, but, but Father, we know that you're powerful over all things. Uh, we know from Scripture that you love us. You proved your love by sending Jesus to die in our place. And so we can't doubt your love for us. And we know that you see exactly what's going on in our life. And we trust that you can use even this to bring you glory. If you use Jesus' death on a cross to bring about the greatest thing that had ever happened on the earth, then you can use our trial, our struggle, our difficulty to bring you glory. You can do it, God. We believe it. And so I just pray a spirit of encouragement over each person in here, Lord, each person that's struggling each person that's going through difficulty, each person that needs, uh, just needs strength to get through the day, God, I pray that you would be near to them, that they would know you as the God who is near, that they would know you as the God who encourages, the God who comforts, that they would know you as uh, a father, God, the father who loves and wraps his arm around them. God, I pray that your spirit 
uh, would bring encouragement to each one of us where we're at today and that we wouldn't just be vessels of encouragement, but we would overflow with it. That as you fill us up with your, your encouragement, that we would overflow with it to others and that we would be your hands and your feet and we would speak words of encouragement to one another uh, that would build up the body. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is making you an encourager. The second thing that we see here is that God is making us reasonable. Man, this was really encouraging to me. Uh, as I was coming out of college, I had grown up in a Christian home. I, I knew the Christian faith. I would say it was, uh, some of you guys maybe can relate to this, it was at the core of who I was. At, like, at the deepest part of who I was, I knew that I believed in Jesus and I knew that I was a Christian, but sometimes it was so deep down in the core that it didn't make its way out to the surface, right? And it was like, I, 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 at foundational level, I knew that's who I was, but I lived my day out on the edges, right? And so I wasn't, I wasn't leaning into it. I wasn't trusting in it. And, uh, and so as I really started to want to desire to have more of a relationship with God, I kind of, I remember coming out of college and kind of thinking like, okay, you know, as I move forward in this, it's just going to take some blind faith. There's going to be some things that don't make sense, that are unreasonable, that are illogical, but it, I'm just going to have to accept it and I'm just going to have to just blindly like trust that, uh, that what God says is true. And, and I found something really encouraging and surprising. I found that as, as I started to read the Bible more, as I came to understand the gospel more fully, as I began to pursue a relationship with God more and more, I found that it made more and more and more sense. It was logical. It, was, it wasn't this, like, close your eyes and hope. It was this firm foundation that I could build my life upon. And in fact, to the point where today, I don't understand life apart from Jesus, right? Everything that makes sense to me flows through the gospel, and it actually takes much more of a leap of faith uh, to live life outside of God's word, right? To, to trust that there was just the right mixture of particles and chemicals that came together with an electrical charge and somehow uh, microscopic life emerged and then evolved and grew and grew and, and changed and shifted to the point where today we have iPhones and we have the internet and we have Twitter, right? Like, uh, like how did that just happen by accident, right? That's, that's a step of faith to just trust that with no guiding force or principle that that just all emerged, right? And beyond that, if all of that was driven by, uh, by, by natural selection and survival of the fittest and the weak uh, being taken over by the strong, then why is it that as humans we have such a desire for love and compassion and empathy? And why do we value humility and meekness. <laughs> why, why, do we, why do we value reasonableness? It makes sense if we are made in the image of a creative, loving, compassionate, meek, humble, caring God. But if we're not made in the image of, of God, if he's not the one who set those things in our heart, why are they there? Where did they come from? Why do we have such an ingrained sense of justice, of right and wrong? And so there's so many, there's so many things that the Bible, the gospel, just makes sense of. When we look at Jesus, he was, he was the most humble and meek and compassionate and empathetic person to ever live. All those qualities that we would aspire to see grow in ourselves, Jesus had them on display in fullness in him. And so that, that makes sense to me. Paul is incredibly reasonable. He shows up and, uh, and he calls uh, all the Jewish leaders to come to him because he can't go because he's on house arrest, right? So he can't go to the synagogue. So he invites them to come to him. And he says, hey, listen, 
I don't judge you guys. I just want you to know I came from Jerusalem. They arrested me on false charges. Uh, they, they wanted to have me executed, but I've come here, and I want you to know I have nothing against you. I have nothing against our fathers. I have nothing against the traditions that I grew up in. I value all of those things. But I want to share with you who Jesus is. And so he invited them from morning until evening, and he gave them a Bible study on the Old Testament and say, look at all this stuff. Look where Jesus is here. How many of you would like to have been at that Bible study, right? An all-day Bible study. Good, because I've got one next Saturday. Who wants to come, right? Yeah, just kidding. I'd love to be in there. I'd love to hear all that. And after hearing it all day, right, he, he reasoned with them, and he laid it out for them, and he, and he presented the truth in such a reasonable way. We just came through a, an election this past week, right? And... Uh, and as you're gearing up towards election day, that last week, you know, you're just kind of like, oh boy, like every ad on television are these negative driving attack ads because they know it's too late to fact check or counteract it at that point. So they just roll out the worst stuff. And uh, I, was, uh, I was driving a good bit last week, and so I got to listen to both, uh, both very conservative and progressive radio stations because I was out in central PA and that's all that's on the radio out there. So it's like just flipping back and forth. It was the same message on both stations. It was just they flip-flopped who was the good guys and who was the bad guys. And they said, hey, they both said, they agreed on one thing. Hey, the only solution is you got to walk into that booth and you just got to hit the party line, right? Whether it's progressive or whether it's conservative, but you just got to hit that button. That's the only way we're going to save our country. Well, that's not, that's not reasonable. It's not true. <laughs> um, and that's not how God wants you to operate. And so if you're here and you're like exploring the Christian faith and saying, man, I, I do want to grow as a, as a Christian, but man, I, I don't know if I'm ready to be a hardline um, extremist, fundamentalist. Uh, if you're not ready to sign up for that, that's good because that's not what God wants from you. He doesn't want you operating as this sort of polarized extreme, we are the good guys, they are the bad guys. That's not how it functions, Right? The gospel is a message of hope for everyone. It says no matter what you've done in your past, no matter where you grow up, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the language that you speak, no matter any of those things, that God loves you and he desires to have a relationship with you and he wants you to know him. And he loves you so much that he paid the price to, to remove the separation that our sin had caused. And it's a free gift. And all you have to do is receive it. And that message is available to every single human being on this planet. It's a reasonable and open and inclusive message of love. But that message offends people. Right? People are offended by that message. Because when, whenever there's a profession of truth, then there's lots of other things that aren't true. Right? If anything is true, then there's lots of other things that aren't true. And so, and so people are offended by the gospel, and that's not on us. Our job is to proclaim the truth, and if people are offended, we don't fight fire with fire, and we don't say, hey, if you come at me nasty, I'm going to come back at you twice as nasty. Right? We continue like Paul did, just continue to be reasonable. And finally he said, hey, I, I told you the truth. Some of you believed, some of you didn't believe. Now I'm going to share it with the Gentiles. And some of them we're going to believe. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, God wants his message to go out. But we're called to be reasonable. Should we pull up our Facebook feed from the past couple weeks and see, <laughs> see how reasonable we have been? We, 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 need to, we need to live in the example that Jesus has set for us. And we need to be reasonable and, and we need to be bridge builders. And that's what Paul was doing here. The third thing, God is making us people of hope. 
And he says, hey, the reason that I'm in chains, I'm in chains because of the hope of Israel. And there's kind of two layers to this, right? The one thing is that we know he's in chains because he was professing Jesus. And Jesus was the true hope of Israel. From, from the beginning of time, they've been looking for this, this Messiah, this Savior, this, this, uh, this son of Eve who was going to crush the head of the serpent and who was going to bring uh, the people back to God. And, and they've been looking for him. And so Jesus is that hope. But in another sense, he was, he was in chains because of the true hope of Israel at that time. They were placing their hope not in Jesus the Messiah, but they were placing their hope in their heritage, in their tradition, in the things that they had received. They felt elevated and above the other nations because they were God's chosen people. And so because of that, they thought that salvation was their birthright. They thought that because they were children of Abraham, that that automatically made them right with God. And sometimes we enter into that same sort of self-righteous behavior, do we not? I mean, don't, don't we at our worst moments, uh, we, we judge and we look down at other people? And our hope is not in Jesus who offers free salvation to everyone, but our hope is in our own self-righteousness, in our goodness, in the fact that we act the right way. And that's a, that's a misplaced hope. And so part of the reason that Paul was in change is because he had exposed the idolatry in their hearts. He had exposed to Israel, hey, your hope is not really in God's Savior, the Messiah, because he was here and you didn't see him. You missed him. Your hope is in yourself. And in those moments when that idolatry is exposed, when our heart's idols are exposed, we have a choice. We can either agree with God, yeah, God, you're right, I missed it. <laughs> Show me your way. Or we can harden and we can, and we can reject what he's trying to show us. But he wants us to be people of hope, and he wants us to place our hope in Jesus. Fourth thing is that God is seeking to transform our hearts. He quotes this passage from Isaiah, and he says, Hey, they saw with their eyes, and they heard with their ears, but their hearts weren't changed. Just seeing, <laughs> just hearing is not sufficient. That's why attending church doesn't get you into heaven. Sorry to, to share that, right? <laughs> Just showing up, I mean, you get credit, but just showing up is not sufficient. It's about our hearts being transformed. Listen to the words at the end of it. He says, uh, he says, lest their eyes, they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. When our heart is changed, when our heart is transformed, then we turn to God and then he is always ready to heal. There's not been a single person in the history of the planet Earth that has prayed to God, God, I was wrong. You were right. I was trying to do it my own way, and I neglected your way, and I repent, and I turn to you. There's not been a single person that prayed that prayer that did not receive healing. That God has the power and the will, and the ability, and the desire to heal all those that would turn, but we have to have soft hearts. When you look on the pages of, of Scripture, Jesus just walked through life with a wide open heart, right? He walked into every situation. He looked at what the person was in that moment. He didn't judge them based on their past. He didn't judge them based on, uh, on whether they were a Samaritan, or a Roman, or an Israelite. He dealt with people with an open heart. 
And as we seek to do that, I wonder what that would look like in our homes, right? If we, if we went home today and, and decided just to live with an open heart, with our, with our parents, with our children, with our spouse, uh, with roommates, with whoever we're around, and we said, you know what? Everything in the past, the failures, the disappointments, the times you let me down, I'm just going to crumple that up. I'm going to throw it out. I'm living with a clean sheet starting today. I'm going to love you where you're at right now. Man, that, that sort of open-hearted approach to life, you know that's going to bear good fruit. But it risks. It risks, it risks being opened up. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to butcher it, but basically he says, he says, hey, if you don't ever want to have your heart broken, then don't open it up to anything, even a pet. <laughs> don't ever open your heart, and you won't, be, you won't be hurt, but little by little, this hard coating will develop around your heart to the point where nothing can penetrate it. And that's what God's describing here in Isaiah. He's saying their hearts are hard. They allowed the, 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 the pain of life. And we've all, we've all been betrayed. We've all been hurt. We've all been disappointed. We've all been let down. But God can give you a renewed heart. He can give you the, the, the ability to move forward with a softened heart. God is seeking to transform your heart. The final thing, God is giving us a patient perspective. I love how this book ends. It, it's really incredible. Um, uh, the final verses, right? It says, it says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul lived and proclaimed without hindrance with a chain around his wrist, right? <laughs> he was in chains, and yet the way that he saw his life, the way that his life was described was unhindered. That's not a difference of circumstance. That's a difference of perspective. And so for so many of us in our lives, all we see is our chains, right? The broken relationship, the disappointment, the failure, uh, the, the, the illness, the sickness, the weakness, the limitations, the disability. Whatever it is, we, we see those chains and those chains define us. And so if you ask us, we'll say, well, you know, hey, this and this and this. I would be doing awesome. I would be following God's will. I'd be crushing it, but I got this laundry list of chains that are around me. But Paul, who's literally in chains, says, hey, I can preach boldly and I am unhindered. There's nothing that is hindering me from accomplishing what God has laid out before me. And so our, our, our goal, what God wants us to do uh, you guys have experienced this, right? One problem goes away, a new one comes up, right? <laughs> there's, there, there's never a point in life where we get out of problems. But what he can do is he can change our hearts and our minds to the place where we can be people that can have joy and feel purpose and feel fulfilled no matter what is going on around us. I've shared this before. The, the thing for us to pray is, God, here's the things I don't like in my life. I pray you would change them. I believe you can, and if it's your will, you will. But Lord, I also pray that you will change my mind and my heart so that I can be a person who can experience joy and peace and satisfaction and fulfillment and that I can live not self-centered but other-centered even if nothing changes. Even if my circumstance doesn't change in the slightest. Change me in the midst of a God so that I can live unhindered 
for your glory. So we look at these things, and our perfect example in all of this is Jesus. Right? There was no one who lived who was more encouraging than Jesus. People walked out of conversations with him feeling filled up, feeling encouraged, feeling built up. Jesus was so incredibly reasonable, right? He continually spoke truth to everyone that he met, friend or foe, aligned with him or opposed to him. He spoke reasonably. He spoke truthfully. Jesus was hope. He is hope. And so his heart was continually centered on hope. He, he lived with a transformed heart, and he was the one who transformed the hearts of others. And think about the patient perspective of Jesus. Jesus said, hey, I'm willing to come and to suffer and to be shamed and mocked and ultimately be crucified because I know that ultimately that's the path to victory. So he's incredibly patient. He's been patient with you. He's been patient with me. My shortcomings and my failure and, and, and my distraction and my selfish pursuits, and he's been patient, and he's just continually offered a way forward because that's what he does, and that's what he wants to do for you today. But it's up to us, right? It's up to us to respond to what he's offering to us. It's up to us to choose to, to walk forward and not to harden our heart, but to open our heart to what Jesus is offering and calling us to do today. And my prayer for you is that you would do that. And it begins with a relationship with him. It begins with what the Bible calls uh, salvation. It, it, it's faith. It's, and salvation is accomplished simply by putting our faith in Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life. And I believe that you died on the cross and rose again so that I could be forgiven and I could be set free, and I could have a restored relationship with the Father. If you believe that, if you place your faith in Jesus, then you receive salvation. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to make him love you. You don't have to go through a class here at Riverside. <laughs> you should put your faith in Jesus. And then you begin to get the joy of learning what it means to, to walk and to grow in that relationship. He begins to change and transform you, and you get to encourage and be used in other people's lives. It's a beautiful thing. If you've never experienced that, I want to offer you the chance for that today. And so if you would close your eyes and bow your head, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. If you are ready today to put your faith in Jesus, there's no magical words that you have to say, but you simply pray a prayer with an open and a transformed heart with words like these. You say, Heavenly Father, Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. I know I don't deserve it, but I know that you loved me enough to do it anyways. Help me to live with you as my Lord and as my King. Thank you for this incredible gift. In Jesus' name.